0: Listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. And I, I just uh, want to once again say thank you. I've had uh, a good long history with your pastor, and uh, in the last four years, uh, we have walked uh, through a lot of times together. And I think he was the one that I first signed my note to him your spiritual bodyguard, Pete. And have been the privilege of of being a bodyguard for your pastor and seeing God work in such a beautiful way in his life and his family and in a way that has made him a far more effective pastor than ever. I want to begin with two quotes this morning which kind of uh, even would refer to some of Meldon's history. The question is not... Have you stood with the great, but have you sat with the broken? The question is not, have you stood with the great, but have you sat with the broken? In every pew sits a wounded soul. The second quote, God does not waste pain. God does not waste pain. Hey. So what I want to talk about this morning is the gratitude, or rather the gratitude attitude from Deuteronomy chapter 8. And if you have your Bibles with you, you may want to turn to that. It's the fifth book in the Bible in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 8. And during the process of Of the sermon this morning, I will be reading all the way from verse 2 of chapter 8 through to verse 14 in three different sections because they will fit each of the points that we will be talking about. A little boy was asked to define salt from a salt shaker. Here was his answer. Salt always spoils potatoes when it is left out. Salt always spoils potatoes when it is left out. With the same kind of negative definition, we could literally say gratitude is what always spoils life when it is left out. The gratitude attitude, which is not just one weekend a year, Prince Watt of Edinburgh's new college, prayed at mealtime this prayer, O Lord, Thou who hast endowed us with so many gifts, now grant us just one more, a grateful heart. A grateful heart. The gratitude attitude, because all good things come from above. All good things come from above. Our health is a gift. Sleep is a gift. Uh, Of all of the things God has allowed my wife to go through over the years physically, she's the longest surviving cancer patient in North America who had the kind of cancer that she had that had spread to the extent that it spread and all the way from the calf of her leg, melanoma, and traveled to the groin and, and all of her lymph nodes were cancerous. And so six and a half hours of surgery, in Portland, Oregon, by the chief oncologist of all of the Pacific Northwest. And when he finished, he phoned me up and he said, Peter, it was what I thought it would be. He had already told us, Surely you have the fastest spreading and the fastest killing kind of cancer. I don't know if I can help you, but I'm going to do my best. That's 44 years ago. And uh, she's symptom-free today by the grace of God. But through all of that, God has just... in just two years ago, we just about lost her to a, a kidney stone that got, went uh, septic, which we used to call blood poison, or her whole system shut down. And so... But the one chronic challenge that she has faced all of her years, ever since birth, is insomnia. And so every morning... When we wake up and we pray together the first thing in the morning, the very first statement, we always pray, Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for sleep. (laughs) You don't take it for granted when you fight it every night. When it comes and it comes. Last night was a beautiful night. And so our Thanksgiving this morning was overwhelming. And sometimes it's just by choice, but in everything, give thanks. You don't have to feel thankful in order to say thank you. So an attitude of gratitude, all things come from above, appetite, family, crops, all are divinely given privileges. They are not rights that we can demand, but they are privileges that we accept and then we appreciate, and if we don't appreciate, we just take them for granted. And remember that failure in thanking right leads to failure in thinking right. Scripture says, godliness with contentment is great gain. Great gain. For the saddest words expressed by God himself in Romans chapter 1 verse 21 is, Neither were they Thankful. And remember what Jesus said to the ten leprous beggars that he healed of their leprosy, and only one of the ten came back to give thanks. And his question, where are the nine? Where are the nine? Are we going to live like the nine and not be grateful, or are we going to live like the one and go back and say thank you? Say thank you. Now, for the nation of Israel... This whole gratitude attitude or lack thereof was just uh, uh, really caused some very definite difficulties for them and it turned what was to be an 11-day journey from Egypt to the promised land turned out to be a 40-year wilderness wandering. Now that's a, a punishment to take. That's a challenge. And plus a massive number of premature funerals. Because remember that nobody who left Egypt 20 years or over apart from Caleb and Joshua, they were the only two, was allowed to enter the promised land. So nobody over 60 apart from those two entered the promised land. So they had a lot of funerals and then the looking over the crowd. Nobody was more than 60 years old when they entered the promised land. All because they failed to be grateful. And so they faced the challenges for that whole journey and the challenge. And they portrayed a grumbling spirit when the water was bitter at Mara. Why have you let us out of Egypt? At least we had pure water back there. Not only a grumbling spirit, they had a demanding spirit. They, when the manna finally came and they'd never seen manna before. This is a whole new menu. And it wasn't long. They got sick and tired of manna. And so they had a a, a real demanding spirit, and then with that, a dissatisfactory spirit. And they gave Moses and Aaron a real rough time. How would you like pastoring a group of people like that? A million and a half journeying through that barren desert for 40 years when they do nothing but complain and grumble. And by the way, that sounds rather contemporary, doesn't it? That's true of far too many churches. That's not only true of Christians. That's also true of the North American culture. We are constantly grumbling and complaining about something or another. Somebody has well said, the greater the blessing, the greater the expectation. And Canada, boy, do we have blessings. In fact, Canada is known as the greatest country on earth. And part of that must be, we're always thankful for everything. We're always grateful, we're happy about everything, and there's no complaints. Nobody ever complains about anything and can do, oh, oh, we know better. We know different. Our whole attitude still is. Give me more. Give me higher wages. Give me greater benefits. So how much is enough? Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. And by the way, if I don't get what I ask for, I'm going to go on strike. And withhold my job, withhold my labor. And by the way, it's legal. You can do that. And so we have become a nation of complainers and a nation of grumblers. And then we get to Deuteronomy chapter 8. And they are now near the end of their wilderness journey. And Moses is having a teaching time. Party with a pastor. And uh, he's teaching a whole new generation that had grown up largely in the wilderness. They had never known all of the benefits back in Egypt that, that mom and dad had whole new generation. And yet they were looking forward to the promised land because Moses talked about that as well. And his main theme in his teaching of this crowd is the theme of uh, obedience and gratitude. Obedience and gratitude. Obey and remember Because thanksgiving forces you to look into the rearview mirror, doesn't it? What are we thankful for this past year? We're thankful for health, whatever it is. I feel sorry for atheists because they have nobody to thank. And when we stop and pause and give thanks... And so their rearview mirror was very real. And the subject he spoke on was the Egyptian deliverance and the wilderness discipline, the deliverance out of the slavery in Egypt, and all of those 10 amazing miracles and walking through the Red Sea. Man, with the history they had, you'd think they would be the most God fearing people because the only explanation for a miracle is. Of God, when my wife, God granted her, uh, she's a walking miracle all the time. She had a stroke in her eye. And we were on a cruise with our oldest son and his wife in Helsinki, Finland. And the one eye... Had a fleck that let loose, and the doctor said he showed it where, where it is right from all the, the pictures they took of it. And so we were standing there in Finland, and the one eye she could hardly see from it at all, it was just all fog. She couldn't see the chart on that eye. And here we stood, and our oldest son, beautiful picture time. That's picture time, mom and dad. You stand right there, look at, looking into the sun, and I'll take a pic. And just as he was about to snap, my wife had a real pain in her left eye, the one that had the and she thought, oh no and she just about crumbled and she told her son, Bevan, I've got a real pain in this eye but he quickly took the picture and then she sat down for a while and it wasn't long, the pain eased, so we kept on going and got back to the cruise ship and she kind of decided to check in the mirror and she put her hand over the good eye and the cloud that had been in that left eye because of the stroke was gone was gone I said, well, I wonder what happened. Because they told us. It's the first five seconds. She had the stroke in church during the middle of the sermon. So we decided to quit going to church. Because when you go to church, you get a stroke. So stay home. Then we found out most people die in bed. So you don't want to go to bed either. But uh, you know how that goes. But you know, when we got back home, she went back to the ophthalmologist and back to the optometrist. And they checked everything out. And she looked on the chart. And she could see as clearly in the left eye as she could in the right eye. And the doc said, I don't know. This never happens. I have no explanation. I said, could it have been a miracle? He said, whatever. Well, that's kind of a weak answer. We knew it was a miracle. So God's a miracle-working God. And Moses knew. All he had to do is talk about walking through the Red Sea. Be part of that crowd, folks. And if that doesn't convince you of the sovereignty of God, And then to see all the Egyptian army drown in that same water. And so the Egyptian deliverance and the wilderness discipline. This is also a book of hope and prospect. The future victory in Canaan. And Jesus quoted frequently from the book of Deuteronomy. In fact, that seemed to be his favorite Old Testament book. So Moses challenges them to be thankful for three things. Number one. Be grateful for God's leading. Be grateful for God's leading. Let me read those uh, verses from chapter 8, verse 2 through 5. And I'll be reading from the voice translation. It's a new English translation that I found very readable, very contemporary English. And it's not a paraphrase, it's a translation. So as you follow in your Bible, it'll be a little different from what I'm reading, but it's the same truth. So listen carefully. Remember... How the eternal, your true God, led you through the wilderness these past 40 years. So they're getting to the end of the trip. He did this to humble you, to test you, to uncover your motivations, to see if you would obey his commands. He humbled you by making you hungry when there was no food in the desert. And then he fed you with manna, a food you and your ancestors had never even heard of. He did this. God did this. Why? Because he wanted you to understand that what, he, that what makes you truly alive is not the bread that you eat, but following every word that comes from the word of the eternal one. Your clothes didn't wear out. Your feet didn't swell throughout those 40 years of wandering. And I want you to know in your hearts that the eternal, your God, has been training you just as a parent trains a child. Oh, well. Be thankful for God's leading. God's leading. And when you stop right now, just to consider the leading of God in your life. I know some of you, but most of you, I don't know. I don't know your story. And I think we need to have far more opportunities to swap stories, to tell one another our stories, and to look at the leading. Wendell Berry, a great author, has said this, Time has taught me greater thanks. And some of the favorite hymns that we still sing from time to time. All the way my Savior leads me. What have I to ask beside? Or he leadeth me, oh blessed thought. Or the song Shirley and I sang as a duet at our wedding 57 years ago. We got married in a province that allows 10-year-olds to get married. And so, yeah. I'm sorry Shirley can't be here today because she's with the family helping them with the juicing and all of that. And By the way, she broke her arm just a couple of weeks ago, so she's in a sling and and trying to do what she can. Talk about a one-armed fisherman kind of thing. And so, uh, songs like, Savior, like a shepherd lead us, much we need your tender care, or thank you, Jesus, for saving my soul. And it's not always easy. It's not always easy. Um, Ellie Wiesel, a Jewish psychologist who survived both Auschwitz as well as Buchenwald. And when he was finally released, he went in as a kid and came out as a man. He decided, I'm not going to write anything for 10 years. So for 10 years, he didn't speak publicly. He didn't write anything. He was still trying to process the whole painful experience of these Nazi prison camps. And when he finally wrote in the book called Night, he starts out, the past lingers in the present. And then he added, the witness, which was him, has forced himself to testify. Why? For the youth of today, for the children who will be born tomorrow, because I do not want my past to become their future. I do not want my past to become their future. And that is why the Jews have been so effective with not letting us forget. And the theme, lest we forget... Lest we fr- and by the way, Christians are being martyred in the US of A, the university campus. Stand up and tell us what religion are they. If you're Christian, the bullet goes right into your head. If you're not a Christian, shot them at the feet. That's America. And Canada has that same potential. Same potential. Charles Stanley. Some of you have heard him on television. A great uh, uh, TV pastor and and preacher. And but I I didn't know till recently his story. I didn't know that his father died of a kidney disease when he was only nine months old. Charles Stanley. His mother had to go to work. He faced extreme loneliness. Moved seventeen times in sixteen years. His mother married his stepfather, and at nine years of age, Stanley says, I was full of hostility and anger and bitterness. I was a mean, abusive, violent teenager. I went to bed with my door locked and a 22 loaded gun by my bedside. That was Charles Stanley. And talk about emotional baggage. And he was told, you're not worth much. Got no praise, no encouragement, with two exceptions. And once again, the power of words. One was a schoolteacher that would say to him publicly, I like you, Charles. And a Sunday school teacher who said, I want you to know I've been thinking of you and I pray for you often. Those two voices became like beacons in the wilderness of disapproval. And I don't know what kind of baggage maybe you're carrying around. What happened? I couldn't get my mom and dad to talk about their past. My dad died at 93. My mom died at 87. They died six months apart. I grew up old colony Mennonite. Couldn't speak a word of English until I was in first grade. And um, absolute poverty born in a log cabin that cost my dad $16 to build. Eight siblings in the family. Five nice brothers and three sisters. Well, sisters not too bad either, but in that kind of situation. And then my folks, before I was born, moved to old Mexico to get away from all English people as far as they would be concerned if you didn't speak low German and you were not that old colony Mennonite, you were English and didn't want to contaminate their kids with that environment. So they were forever running to get away from people. And then I married an English girl. That kind of rattled the cage. But they did, they, they wouldn't talk about their past because there was so much pain. So my mother, my oldest brother, his name was Peter, and, and he... He died when he was three years old in Mexico of measles and pneumonia. And there was no funeral director. There was no pastor there or anything. And so dad had to build the casket. The only picture we have of those Mexico days is my oldest brother in a casket that my dad built. He had to dig the grave and they had to bury that little boy. Five months later, my grandpa My mother's dad died of a heart attack at the age of 50 in Mexico as well. So my mother had what we used to call a nervous breakdown. She didn't want to talk about her past. She didn't want to talk about it. And so to be grateful for God. So what baggage are you carrying? It's a heavy load. I spent two hours with a former pastor this week. Who told me their first baby was born seemed totally healthy within about 15 days something went wrong had a medevac medevac that little baby to the main hospital in that province and the father wasn't even home and he rushed to get home and join mom at the hospital and within a matter of five days, that little baby died. And then they were in a church that was a strong focus on prophesying and praying for her, demanding healing. And while this little baby was dying in the hospital, the head deacon showed up at the hospital and said, We have a word from the Lord for you. And God has told us to tell you, you need to take that little baby out of the hospital. And as soon as you step out of the hospital, there's going to be a miraculous healing. And she'll be all right. Mom and dad looked at that carefully and they said, how come God's not telling us that? They had no peace about it. And so they didn't respond positively to that prophecy. And the baby died. Within a week, they got a letter from the board and said, you're fired because you're not willing to listen to God. So you can't be our pastor anymore. And for two hours, he poured out his heart. Talk about baggage, folks. Talk about pain. When you're hurting so much, and then you add that into the mix. And so what kind of baggage are you carrying? It's time you unloaded, allow yourself to grieve a painful past with no pretending and blame shifting. And Moses wanted them to remember the good, the bad, and the ugly. In other words, to embrace your pain. You didn't choose it. You didn't choose it. So God led them through difficult times. Verse 2. In the desert, it was dry, it was hot, it was barren, it was lonely, it was empty, it was wasted. And you wonder why? When God allowed us to walk through a painful church experience. And uh, a large church that the ministry had been just so wonderful the first four years and then... The wheels came off, and it was all over nickels and noses. (laughs) In other words, the ABCs of church success from our North American culture's viewpoint. Attendance, buildings, and cash. You know, bums in the seats, and all of that, and numbers, numbers, numbers. And you look at all of that, and I thought, well, hey, cemeteries are growing in numbers, too. And my thought, my heart, we were a blended congregation. We had 350 people in the church that were 65 and over. But we also had 200 kids that were fifth grade and under. And so we sought to have a blended ministry for all ages. And then other churches in the same community, some of them, one of them in particular, was really growing explosively because they targeted just more one age group and I blessed them. This is the way God led them to do it. I wasn't resisting them, but this was the congregation God led us. We wanted to, we wanted to have music that excited the youth without panicking the old, and that's not easy. And so the question from the new chairman of the board: How big are we going to be ten years from now? How how many staff are we going to have? What's our budget going to be? And, when I didn't give him the satisfactory answer, started to undermine and try to pressure me out. He said, get three to six months to turn this thing around to grow explosively or else you're out of here. And uh, so I walked through that painful time, and I'll never forget one Sunday night church business meeting when everything... And there was never anything moral, never anything theological, never anything financial, there were no... We're not talking perfection here, folks. There is no perfections for heaven, not earth. Your pastor is not perfect. Allow him to make mistakes. Love him anyhow. And, but he'll be repentant when he makes mistakes and deal with it. And then he'll model that with you too. And that's what we sought to do. And here was this Sunday night. 800 people show up at the business meeting. And uh, it was a painful evening. There were 44 people who got up to speak. Only about four were negative, and the 40 others were either positive or neutral. You never knew just where they were. And uh, we felt like we had been uh, publicly stripped and, and literally um, assassinated and betrayed. And our youngest son, who's six foot four, flew in from. Toronto, to be there with us for that evening. He phoned up one Thursday night and said, Mom and Dad, what are you doing? What are you doing Saturday evening? And Mom said, why? He said, I'm flying in at my own expense. I want to be there with you. And he sat right in the front row between the two of us with his arms around both. He wanted to get up to speak, and I wouldn't let him because I'd heard a few were already thinking I'd flown him in as my bodyguard. <laughs> Don't you touch him, my daddy, you know, that's kind of... Uh, and I said, son, if I, when it was all over, I said, if I would have let you get up and speak, what would you have said? He said, Dad, I would have asked only one question. You know this man like I know him? And I would have sat down. Folks, give me that over a million bucks any day. But after that meeting was over, our daughter, who lives here in Kelowna with her husband, and they came down for the meeting. They were in the front row with us. Boy, talk about, we have three sons that are all ordained pastors, and Bruce, our son-in-law, was also a pastor, and he'd get sick every Sunday morning, and finally thought, maybe God's trying to tell us something. So he became an electrician, so my wife says, we have three ordained Pastors in our family and one ordained electrician. And now a farmer because he couldn't do the electrical work anymore because of arthritis. But what a, what a godly example. We live right next door to them. You know, just this week, they've got chickens they raise as well. And they're at the farmer's market. And I saw him in that chicken barn just in front of, in front of our house. And uh, uh, there was a chicken that died. And uh, these are meat birds. And I saw Bruce take that chicken. I saw him dig the hole in the garden. I saw him put that chicken. And then he sat, he knelt there. He spent about five minutes praying over that dead chicken. Knowing that this is what God's called me to do. And I want God to be honored through these chickens. So God, you keep them alive. I, I cried. And so... We got back into the car and we decided to drive to Kelowna. We needed a little break. And so we didn't get here till 2 o'clock. This is where my wife grew up. Her parents are both buried here. And that night as we tried to sleep, we couldn't sleep. And I, I started by praying as we always do before we go to sleep. And I said, God, tonight I have a problem with you. I don't understand this. Is this the way you treat 40 faithful years of ministry to get blown out of the water when you're 60? Doesn't make sense. Didn't sleep a wink that night. The next morning, my wife and I got up and we took a walk in the, in the orchard where we picked the apples yesterday. And it all came back to me. And often as we walk together, we pray out loud. And I started out, God... I'm back. (laughs) I'm back. You are still the God of ultimate control and the ultimate love. And I'm just going to trust you. And God took that pain, folks. And out of the ashes of what we thought was failure, God awakened a new fire. A new ministry that we had no idea, not that wasn't in our plans. We were on staff by that time at Campus Crusader, Power to Change, and I met four or 5,000 pastors across the country. And I heard a lot, met a lot of weary, wounded shepherds and pastors, and, and they wondered, where can we go for help? And so out of that began the ministry of Oasis retreats for weary, wounded pastors. And surely now I had the privilege of being trusted with 700 stories of pastors from 65 different denominations and from 28 American states and 30 countries of the world and eight Canadian provinces to have them come and feel safe to be real and get help and give me a wounded healer any day. That's why your pastor Meldon will be so powerful as he leads you in love and brokenness because he's a broken man. But God doesn't waste pain. He doesn't. He sees the big picture whenever it happens. And so when my wife fell three weeks ago and she broke her bone right at the shoulder, we call it an accident. But from God's perspective, it's only an incident in God's great picture of things. And he can heal it miraculously, and sometimes he does. Most often he just allows it to take its time to heal naturally. And so... The whole challenge of of God's leading in God's wonderful direction. So God leads them through difficult times. And then he led them through difficult places for extended period of time. Verse 2. A 40-year trip. That's a long time. Vance Havener, a great Bible teacher of years gone by. I've heard him at Moody Bible Institute and, and pastors' conferences, and, and he told us the story of his wife who was dying in the hospital with a disease he'd never even heard of. And for six months he sat there by her bedside and he watched her shrivel up and to the point he hardly recognized this is not the woman he married. And he said, I'd have pastor friends come by and they would pay a brief visit and they'd have just a quick scripture and they would would. would kind of say, now you're doing all right, Vance, aren't you? Because after all, you've preached this stuff, so now you're practicing what you preach, right? And when they would walk out, Vance, I'd say to myself, that guy knows too much. It hurts to see your wife die. And I think there's far too much focus on not having any grieving at funerals. The best is if everybody smiles when you're born and everybody cries when you die. Tears are divine. To heal, to grieve, right? You need to talk. You need time. And you need tears. Only as they come, and they will come. They will. Lehman Strauss wrote the book, In God's Waiting Room. And he said, that's the toughest room to be in because we're in a hurry. We want everything now. We want healing now. We want action now. Change, results. And... We are so used to instant everything, but you don't get instant life. You just take one step at a time, folks. And there are times I get sick and tired of walking this way. I'd like to be like a kangaroo, and when we saw them in Australia, but if I would be jumping down the sidewalk in Kelowna like this, it wouldn't be long, there'd be a paddy wagon drop by and, and guys would pick me up and take me to a psych ward somewhere because you walk this way, you don't, you know, not human beings. So one step at a time, he led them through difficult places and for extended periods of time. And then he led them through difficult places over extended periods of time in order to test their attitudes and their priorities, in order to uncover your motivations and your priorities. And there was nothing like pain and suffering to put you in the spotlight. And it'll make you either bitter or better. And it's your choice. And frankly, I meet a lot of bitter Older people, I are one, not bitter. I'm old, I'm 79, going on 40, soon to be 25, but that's another story. But thank God that God has given us his grace to never allow bitterness to take over. And a lot of these older people have never grieved their loss as well. Character development takes time, pain, and loss, and it leads to brokenness. And in in chapter 1, verse 7, the Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in Him. And He allows you to be as miserable as you want to be. But also to be gracious and tender and loving. So, be thankful for God's leading. To be thankful for God's provision. Be thankful for God's provision. And I love these words, verse 6 through 10, again from the voice translation. So, obey his commands. Live as he has instructed and fear him. The eternal God is bringing you into a good land. Now the chamber of commerce takes over. A land with torrents of rushing water, with springs and underground streams flowing out into the valleys and the hills. It's a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, and land of oil-rich olive trees and date honey. And by the way, they have just discovered oil in Israel, probably a reserve greater than any oil reserve in the world, in the Golan Heights. God's promised to look after his people in that land you will always have plenty to eat you won't lack anything there's iron in the rocks and you can dig copper from the hills this is talking about BC isn't it you'll eat and be satisfied and then you will humbly thank the eternal your God for the good land he has given you Thank God for his pro- Folks, we are wealthy people. We're wealthy people. But are we grateful? Are we grateful? Thank God for his provision. And remember your foundation, verse 6. And when we read in Scripture, May God have dominion from sea to shining sea. Canada, is God having dominion? How far we have strayed. Our schools, no Christmas carols. They don't allow them in the Kelowna schools. No Bibles. No prayer. Our universities, somebody has said, they are islands of censorship and a sea of freedom. Some of the most bigoted, negative ungracious people I have ever met were my university professors. If you didn't agree with them, oh, Pete, you spoil everything. I sat right in the front row, and I'd ask a lot of questions. I had to face the decision before I went to university, both for my undergraduate and graduate degree, I'm going to have to, who's going to be my final authority? Is it going to be Professor so-and-so with Ph.D.? Ph.D. could mean for post-hole digger, too, instead of doctor of philosophy. Just because some, uh, one PhD student told, oh, you Christians, you're just a bunch of weaklings. You just need a crutch to lean on. I said, hey, you're just an untested weakling. Wait till you get into, you know, as somebody, they put up a sign in an American high school bulletin board. In case of a nuclear attack, the Supreme Court ruling against prayer in schools will be temporarily suspended. Then it's okay to pray. You know, when you're in a real crisis. So, God's directives are unchanged, folks. The Supreme Court of any country is not my final ruling. It's God's Word. My bottom line question in life is, is it biblical? It's God's truth. Remember, keep my commandments. They're not suggestions. Walk in my ways. Reverence me. And then don't only remember your foundation, but remember your bounty, verse 7 and 8. Pretty well, everything that we know about God is associated with giving, isn't it? Romans 8. He who gave his own Son freely gives us all things. And so, when Shirley and I wake up in the morning, as we did this morning, and in each other's arms, thank you, Jesus, for sleep. (laughs) Thank you for this day. And thank you that Romans 8.28 is still in the book. And we quote this one together. And the Romans 8.28, God works all things together for good. And I love the voice translation when it says, we are confident that God is able to orchestrate everything to work towards something good and beautiful when we love him and accept his instructions. And his guidelines for our lives. Remember your bounty. Remember. Thank you, God. So much comes from him. And we can, he can pull the plug any And he can choose to do that when he wants. And we were in Florida through two and a half years ago on New Year's Eve. And the phone rang. And here's our youngest son on the line giving us the news. Your grandson, our son, 14 years old, has stage four bone cancer. 11 months later, he was with Jesus. So one phone call can change everything. God always has final say. So remember where all this bounty comes from, and be thankful. And you will eat and be satisfied, and then you will humbly thank God for the good land he has given you. What are we doing in response to all this bounty? And then the final thing he wanted them to learn, be grateful for God's warnings. Be grateful for God's warnings. And boy, do I love these words. But then be very careful, he says. Don't forget the eternal, your God, and disobey the commands and the decrees and the rules I'm giving you today. When your stomachs are full, And when you've built comfortable houses to live in and when you have large herds and flocks and when you possess plenty of silver and gold and when you have more things than you imagine possible, then don't become proud and puffed up and forget God. Don't. Be thankful. For God's warnings, economic independence and abundant prosperity can very easily give us a warped sense of independence. So beware of a false sense of earthly security. And the gratitude attitude is the world's most powerful and dynamic motivation. It is. Dr. Cronin took a taxi drive, a ride in New York City, And he noticed the driver was quite upset. And uh, the driver got pretty real with him pretty quick. He said, "I've I've got reason to be sore today. He said, a guy just left a wallet in my car with $300 cash in it. And I found it. And he said, I spent a whole hour tracing him down. I finally found the hotel where he was at. And I went to him, and I got hold of him, and he came down from his room, and he saw his wallet, and I gave it to him, and he just grabbed it, took it without a word. He glared at me as if, it, as if I had meant to snitch it and offered no reward whatsoever. He said, I had lost all of that time. I I'd, lo- I'd paid gas for all this driving, and it was not the dole that I wanted. It was not the money that I wanted. But then he exploded and said this, if only the guy had said something. If only he had said thank you. You see, a lack of a gratitude attitude poisoned that taxi driver's whole day because the guy wasn't thankful. My closing story, we were in England And wanted to get to a Sunday morning uh, service at one of the Anglican cathedrals, so we ended up in St. Paul's Cathedral because we heard the London Symphony was playing that morning. And at that time, I thought all Anglicans are God's frozen assets, and I was totally wrong on that. God knows he's got some wonderful, godly Anglicans in every community. And so, here we were, not expecting more just a kind of a, a cultural experience with the symphony and all, but the vicar that spoke that morning on the sovereignty of God ended up with this statement. And don't forget it. We need to get to the point where we're willing to say, for all that has been, thanks. For all that will be, Yes! That's the sovereignty of God. For all that has been, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and for all that will be. Yes! Yes! Are you known for having a gratitude attitude? Or are you known for being complaining and grumbling? It's your choice. But you also don't choose the consequences of that. Israel, when they chose grumbling, they didn't expect 40-year journey and all those deaths. Be sure your sin will find you out. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for speaking to us today. Thank you for your word, which is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our pathway. And thank you for this message of challenge for all of us, including me, And this message of hope, this message of anticipation, the message of the God of the future, even in all that's going on in our world, you are blessedly in control of all things. And we're so thankful. So, God, I pray your blessing upon Meldon and his wife and family this weekend. Bring them back to us safely. Pray for this new church, God. May you just be glorified and may this be just a a definite lighthouse, even the location here in this theater, and to be a a place of hope and peace and joy. We bless you, we trust you, we thank you, we love you, and we care for each other, in Jesus' name.